Um, I once woke up with a green pea in my mouth. Did you hear that? Did you smell that? The governments, all the governments are stalking me. I once slept in an eagle's nest. Hiya! (laughs) (laughs) So we'd like go around in my house doing that to each other. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, that was just hands down the funniest commercial I've ever seen. Now I would like to introduce our guests, Jonathan Vinson, assistant professor of the communication program, and Thomas Clapper, a videographer and adjunct professor here at Crown. Thank you guys so much for joining the Crown Insider podcast. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. So how did you get into filmmaking and what has been your experience to where you are now? Yeah, so when I I actually started out in the communication program here at Crown, completely on accident, actually. Um, I was supposed to be undecided or general studies, and they said, oh, it looks like you're in the communication program. I was like, no, this needs to be fixed. And then <laughs> I, you know, they said, oh, just take a few electives, and if you don't, or a few you know, lower-level classes, and if you don't like them, they'll become electives, basically. Hmm. And so I said, okay, sure, fine. And then I fell in love with communication program and the theory and then I I tried my hand at making a film for one of our film festivals at the time and it did really really well and so I thought to myself okay maybe I have some kind of a knack for this and so I kept at it and I kept making films Mm. and from there uh you know that kind of that's kind of when my story and Clapper's story intersect a little bit too okay because we actually started doing some work together yeah. around that time so I'll let you pick it up from there. yeah so when I was in middle school I'd make goofy videos with my friends which I hope don't exist anymore because <laughs> I don't think I'd want to watch them again um, but did that through middle school and then high school did more of that and went on a trip to West Africa um, and was asked to be the videographer for that trip and said I couldn't do it and the guy that was leading the trip said wow. I really think you can and I said I really don't think so and came back um, with 14 hours of footage that I cut into nine kind of 20-minute episodes. Um, okay. So apparently I could do it. He saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. And so when I came to Crown the next year, um, I showed them to a, a guy named Jonathan Vincent that I just met. And he <laughs> said, why aren't you in the communication program? And I said, I don't know. And so I joined. <laughs> wow. So you guys were both students at the same time. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah we were. And then we actually started doing, you know, some professional work together. I think our first professional gig was a Christmas play <laughs> that we filmed. Oh, I also cool. hope that one's gone. Yeah, yeah. I also <laughs> hope that that is, you know, somewhere gone on the internet. Um, but then just started doing some other gigs from there. And then he eventually moved off to, to Washington. And then we basically both started growing our freelance work out there. Um, and then I eventually ended up basically um, – working at a church as their full-time film producer. at a, In a, Washington, too? No, so or I no? was out here, here and okay. I stayed in Minnesota. He, he left us for a bit and eventually came back. But okay. um, no, I was actually working at a, a mega church here in the Twin Cities, and I ended up working full-time as their film producer. And then from there, I actually went to a company called Moving Edge Media, where I started working uh, and doing some producing and editing work over there uh, at that company for a few years before I got the call to come teach here at Crown. Neat. And then how did you come back to Crown? Yeah, I was looking for 
a master's program. My wife and I were actually looking at moving overseas with the Christian Missionary Alliance, the connection with the school. And um, they wanted us to go back and get more education. And so I was looking at degrees. And um, Crown came up as one of the options. And my Mm. wife and I said, we love Crown. And so we moved back out here. And I became the graduate assistant videographer for a bit. And then they offered me a full-time job when I finished my program. And so now I work in the marketing department making videos for Crown. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. So uh, what has been your favorite film or video that you have produced? Start with Professor Vincent. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite. Um, That's really hard to say. I mean, as cheesy as it sounds, it's like apples and oranges. But I think... So one that probably has some of the most nostalgia, I think, around it. It's not necessarily my favorite in and of itself. Okay. But it was actually the first film that Thomas and I worked on together. It was actually in the class, or the whole class was around making this short film. And um, basically, we were working on this project, and um, our previous editor was, you know, our previous editor kind of abandoned the project a little bit. And so Thomas ended up kind of taking over. And that's what really solidified our friendship was laboring <laughs> over that film uh, so for cool. hours and hours and hours in the editing lab. Um, okay. So that was, uh, I don't know, that that's a nostalgic film for me to have worked on, I would say. Thomas? Yeah, I have a similar, different, um, it's not a film, it's a series of films. So when uh, Professor Vincent graduated, yeah. he stayed as, I don't know, what was your title? I was like a production coordinator or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So for one of my specialists, production specialist, that was my title. Yeah. I was still in school. And um, one of the practicum things that we could do was to, to make videos. And so I pitched an idea of, we had news at the time. And I said, why don't we kind of shove the news inside a narrative? Hmm. And so we filmed something like, I don't know, eight or 10 episodes of this story about a student trying to produce the news and being terrible at it. Really? Um, And so that was just one of those, like, people just came together. We had a team of probably, I don't know, eight people that showed up Mm -hmm. consistently, volunteered. um, Just So it was was really fun. Again, not my best work, but just some really fun time of writing and producing and getting my hands kind of into film. Yeah, that's so cool. I mean, it sounds like when you're doing something out of a team and everyone can come together and work on the same thing. Uh, just makes it so much more fun. Yes. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, no, it was, it was a ton of fun to work on that project. Um, those are still floating on the internet. <laughs> Somewhere out there. Out there. Yeah. <laughs> so should uh, high schoolers listening to this podcast look it up then or no? <laughs> as long as you know that it's not our current work. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So moving into segment two with some statistics here. According to a report done by Common Sense Media, teens spend up to nine hours a day on media. And 39% of this is passive. So on tablets, smartphones, computers, or just watching videos. And according to a study in 2018 by the Center for Generational Kinetics, 95% of Gen Z have smartphones and 25% of them have had one before the age of 10. According to a report by Business, Business Wire, 76% of Gen Z have iPhones 
and 81% expect their next phones to be iPhones. There's a couple more here. Uh, according to a study done by Stage of Life, 49% of teenagers have uploaded a video to YouTube. And also, according to Stage of Life, 75% of teens look for advice through YouTube or videos on topics important to their lives. So what do you guys think about some of these statistics? Just uh, even another one here from The Atlantic says that households watch almost eight hours of TV per day on average. Uh, yeah, what do you guys think about that? Uh, it's kind of sobering, you know, to be honest. I, I mean, on one hand, it's fantastic job security for people in the media business, right? Because there's this huge demand for content right now, right? Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of it's niche content. So the, it's not just, you know, one, two studios making all of the content that everyone's consuming. You know, a lot of people are going to YouTube where it's, you know, this guy or that gal making content and putting it up there. So the opportunity to create content um, has never been greater, which is really, really empowering and really awesome. It's also very sobering, right, that, mm. you know, eight hours a day, like you could have a second job, <laughs> second full-time job if, if you're doing that, yeah. right? So that's, that's an astounding amount of content. And one thing, you know, that um, there's this saying out there in the world of social media right now, create more than you consume. And, and I think there's a, a lot of merit in that statement. Um, I, th I think it can be dangerous for us to kind of always be in this mindset where we're just consuming everything. Um, but, you know, like take a step out there uh, and create something and put it out there for the world. And mm -hmm. I think um, I think there's a lot of benefit for that. I could talk a long time about the benefits of that, but I, I think that that's huge. That's really neat. And through social media and videography, we have so many opportunities to do that, which is very exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Are I, you Professor Clapper? I don't think I'm a typical videographer um, because I don't have an Instagram. I don't have a Facebook. I. Um, you don't? I don't. I, I don't either have yeah. Instagram. So. Yeah. <laughs> so I spend a lot of my time, a lot more of my time creating than consuming, um, partially being intentional about that and just recognizing that, man, there's such a gravitational pull towards just scrolling and scrolling mm. and scrolling. Um, and I feel that in my own life. And so I'm trying to be intentional about the reality that there's a lot of great things out there, um, but the right things are the important things. And so looking at YouTube and saying, I'm not just going to spend eight hours a day on that um, can be tough because there's cat videos for days on there. <laughs> um, but there is, there's like a lot of amazing content out there um, that you could spend all day long doing and watching and consuming, mm. but looking at it from a standpoint of like, what do I want to be in 10 years? I don't want to be a YouTube watcher. I mm. want to be someone that, that knows my field or has grown. Um, and so if that can be a part of that as a tool, cool. Um, but if it ever gets in the way, then I, I want to not go down that path. Right. So both of you guys have done pastoral work in your background. Um, has that, what has inspired that? So for me, the, the biggest thing I think that inspired that was probably 
um, I, I think first and foremost, as videographers, we're storytellers. So I've always been in love with story. Mm. And I think um, one of the most incredible things about ministry is that you get to um, tell the greatest story of all. And you get to see that story intersect with other people's story. Mm. And so one of my favorite things to create when I was working um, at the mega church that I was working at, I loved uh, filming face stories. I absolutely loved that. That was one of my favorite things because I got to hear people's stories and yeah. got to see how, how their their life intersected with that. But I think you know tying that into our conversation around social media too, I think we can be um, redemptive storytellers in these mediums, right? We mm-hmm. can tell stories of hope, um, hold out hold out stories of hope and life. Um, and and use it as a platform, you know, to talk about Jesus too. Sometimes, um, right. which I've, you know, it's been really incredible, especially as Instagram like rose as a platform. There's been a, a huge amount of um, Christians actually that I've seen on the platform that have been doing like incredibly like awesome quality work on the platform, mm. and so to watch these powerful Christian storytellers in that medium has been really, really cool to see. That's really cool. Yeah, when I was out in Washington, I was half-time uh, youth pastor and then half-time videographer for two years. And then the next two years as half-time children's pastor, half-time videographer, visual storyteller. Um, and so it's it always has to be about Jesus, right? Jesus only is kind of our, our anthem and so recognizing mm-hmm. then that these are just tools. So going, can I utilize this tool to further the gospel impact? Yeah, you can. Um, and you can do that in meaningful ways. And so trying to figure out then where that tool is utilized best, trying to figure out how to tell those stories best um, and when not to use them, when that, that isn't the most effective way of communicating, um, that's the kind of where the rubber meets the road, um, that's hard. But I think that that's the good work that we get to do in order to to have a voice and a platform. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the hope here is that as our students grow and develop, that they would create culture-changing stories, that it wouldn't be just more video content out there, that there mm-hmm. would actually be a purpose and meaning behind what they do. So moving into segment three and talking about uh, feature films shot on an iPhone, we have High Flying Bird, Netflix film, came out in January of 2019. Sports drama about politics within basketball. Uh, good ratings by critics. It got 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. And there's Searching for Sugar Man, a documentary-style search for 70s musician Rodriguez in South Africa. And then the I play with the phrase, I play with the phrase each other. Um, first feature filmed, composed entirely of cell- of phones. So, while a film can be made on an iPhone using iMovie, are there any applications for Androids with the same features? Yeah, there's plenty of them. Um, there's a lot of options out there, and there's a lot of new options coming out all the time. Um, we are... Well, I'm an Apple enthusiast. I don't know if that's it. Yeah. <laughs> so I couldn't tell you so this all is the, the wrong question for you the guys. precise. Yeah, but um, the point is that these tools 
I mean, we're talking trillion dollar industry. So people are inventing these tools all the time and trying to find new ways of developing those tools. And so whatever platform you're on, somebody's making software that can help you tell stories better. Um, it's just, yeah, that's where the industry is headed. So no matter what you're using, somebody's making something for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and why is it important that we have the ability even to make movies on our phones? Yeah, I, th- I think it's important um, in part because a lot of times we don't necessarily have time or, you know, yes, you could film it on your phone and then download it to your computer or shoot with a camera. So with the advent of social media and these platforms, the turnaround time is a lot faster. Like people want to see, you know, stuff that's happening the day it's happening. So the expectations for timeliness mm-hmm. are just getting faster and faster and faster and faster. So, you know, depending on what you're working on, I think it's really important. I actually have my students sometimes do these exercises where they have to create a video within the duration of a class. Um, wow. You know, and so I, I think that exercise is good for them. One, because uh, I think you learn a lot when you work under pressure sometimes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I, I think that's a good learning experience. And that's kind of what it's like on an actual set, too. But, you know, you never know when you're going to be in a situation where someone comes to you and says, we need this and we need this right now. Um, and so, okay, can you, with the tools that you have on you, you know, there's a saying that the best camera is the one that you have on you. And so, Hmm. um, you have to be able to use what you have on your person to do the best that you can right away sometimes. So that's just the reality of the, of the field at times. So to have an understanding of what you can do, there's, there's also a very practical thing that sometimes lugging around a ton of camera equipment is just not Mm. ideal. (laughs) It can be really heavy and we're seeing a lot of advancements with it right now, getting lighter and lighter and a lot more usable. But for for example, I was filming my wife as she was running her, uh, doing her Ironman competition. Wow. And so I filmed everything on my phone and I didn't feel like, you know, dumping it all into my computer. So I thought, you know, I'm just going to use iMovie and cut it together and made this great little 30 second highlight and she just goes around showing it to all of her coworkers and her friends. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so, cool. so I think, I think it comes in handy. Well, that makes sense. Um, have either of you guys watched any of the films listed earlier at all? I've seen or seen any that have been made like on an iPhone. Yeah. I've seen a portion of the, um, I play with the phrases of each other. Uh, I didn't get to watch the whole thing, but um, really interesting how you can move a platform completely off where it's just screen captures essentially is the whole movie. So um, what do you mean by that? So if you watch the movie, it follows this guy's desktop. So you never get to see hmm. him unless you're seeing it through the camera on the computer capturing him. Oh, weird. Um, so again, just a really unique way to tell a story. Um, that to me is ingenious. Uh, I don't know. I can't talk of the quality of the story that was um, filmed, but to talk mm-hmm. about like how you can use a medium that we're so familiar with. We start screens all day long. Um, we know what our desktop looks like. And to tell a whole story within that frame is just a really interesting canvas to, to present a story through. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, um, yeah, I've actually seen Searching for Sugar Man. Uh, it's a really fascinating film. 
very fascinating film actually and it's basically all about how this guy got um this musician who had kind of like a one-hit wonder in the u.s but in south africa the guy was just a legend like everyone loved him wow and um and to be honest i didn't know until you know you i I looked at this interview (laughs) that it was all shot in an iphone um you know i Mm -hmm. i can maybe tell at, at points that the camera that they were using wasn't the most amazing thing in the world. That actually happens quite often in documentary work where they're kind of using whatever camera they can get their hands on. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's actually, it's it's a really nice film. They actually interject some animation in there too that I think is really tastefully done. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. How would you do that on an iPhone? Well, no, they, uh, that I don't think they did on an iPhone. Okay. <laughs> like, huh? I mean, if they did, I'd really like to talk to them. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. But no. So okay. so that I'm sure they did in a, in a different program. But everything cool. that was shot, um, it sounds like, was That was makes on sense. An iPhone, That's so. cool. And the whole film, Mobile Camera, um, really is kind of a callback to the original film cameras. So I always tell students, part of why I use nicer cameras is they just give me greater flexibility later on. It's my way of paying more money to not have to do it perfectly the first time. So one of the benefits of using an iPhone is that there's less flexibility later. So if your lighting's off, if the audio's bad, all those things, it's harder to correct later on. Um, So it forces you to to get the right shot the first time, which is an important, wow. that's, that's where you want to be, right? Is you don't want to spend all your time editing. You want to. I mean, yes, but that also sounds very high pressure. Yeah, it can be. Although if you can get that down, then if you can get your hands on a nicer camera, you'll use it so much better. Hmm. So I suppose it's a, that it's takes less time maybe. Yeah. Yeah. If you're good the first time. Yeah. So there's actually a local uh, filmmaker in Minneapolis that uses, um, uh, a DSLR, an older DSLR uh, camera, and he doesn't do post work on it. So when he shoots a commercial, whatever he gets in the camera, that's what's going to be shown on the television. Wow! Um, and so again, that's kind of an aim. You can't, you can't always do that. Um, mm-hmm. He's, you know, really good at what he does. But um, the more that you can do that, that's the real raw skill of shooting. Right? Is getting what you want the first time. Hmm. That's really neat. So what are some basics of filmmaking to learn as a beginner and what gear is needed? So first and foremost, and, and um, Professor Clapper and I say this all the time to students, probably to the point where they're like, oh man, and this again. But no, story, story is really king. Um, and story is first and foremost. Because mm. if you don't have, I mean, you can have whatever gear or camera, but if your story's not there, you don't have anything. Um, mm. So story is first and foremost, you know, the big thing that you need to make sure that you you have <laughs> when you're filming something. Um, and a good way to start out with that um, in pretty much any genre that you're shooting is you want to make sure that you have a protagonist with a clear goal. Like that's really, really important. Um, and that you have a protagonist um, that you as the audience are going to empathize with. So that's that's super 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 important, and that's going to kind of get you. There's a we could spend a lot of time just talking about story. Huh. I'm teaching a whole script uh, script writing class this coming fall that I'm really excited about. Well, that sounds interesting. So, but 
you know, if you get those two things down, you're going to be on the right track uh, with getting a good a good story. Um, and then, Thomas, do you want to talk a little bit about gear? We yeah. could also talk about gear all day, too. Yeah, we could talk about <laughs> gear all day. Well, and that's the point, is that if you have a really good story, it doesn't matter what you shoot it on, um, because if it's really good, then people will get lost in it. Hmm. If you have a dumpy story and you shoot it with the best camera in the world, it's still a dumpy story. Um, and so, you know, when you get down to gear, you could talk about all sorts of things. You could build a rig that costs you $20,000 and um, you could do that. But you can also get away with a lot less gear if you really get a good story down and put passion into it because that will come through the screen. Um, so first and foremost, you need some sort of camera. You need something to capture. And so, uh, right. like I said earlier, that doesn't have to necessarily be a phone. That can be screen recording, screen capture. That can be, I've seen people make movies on Minecraft and they record their characters running around. They control them. There's a lot of mediums that you can use. Um, but as we talk about phones, just pick up a phone. doesn't have to be an iPhone. doesn't have to be the latest and greatest. Just pick up a phone. Um, and probably the next big thing is how that phone's going to be used. So um, there are mounts that you can get for 10 bucks hmm. that will allow you to put on a tripod. And so you can get a cheap tripod That's and a cheap cool. mount. And for 30 bucks, you can have something that now is going to be stable um, all the way up to you can buy expensive uh, lens accessories. You can buy gimbals that make it stable electronically. Okay. Um, so you can go a long way with this. Um, but really, first and foremost, you want a, a camera and you want some way to make sure that that camera can be clear. And so a tripod's a good start for that. Yeah, stabilizing your camera is really, really big. So if you've got a tripod or a gimbal, you know, that's going to be really ideal. Um, mm -hmm. If not, sometimes you just got to improvise. Mm -hmm. So, um, And that could mean leaning up against a wall so that your arms aren't shaking as much or putting your elbows on the table um, while you're interviewing someone at the table you know those little things will help immensely in stabilizing your footage um, and also making sure that you're not zoomed in too much because the more you zoom into your image or into the video the shakier it's going to be hmm. so making sure that you're as wide as you can be is also going to really help help with that yeah, yeah that makes sense and for improvising uh Back when vertical videos were a new thing, believe it or not, it was a new thing at one point, um, I had an iPod Touch that didn't have, it was rounded, so it couldn't stand up by itself, okay. um, and they didn't have mounts and things. So I took cards out of a deck of cards and shoved it in there, and that became my, my stabilization. So I made a whole video with a deck of cards that was, wow. you know, the iPod Touch was wedged in there. So... Um, one of my favorite parts of filmmaking, I don't, you can speak to this too. I love problem solving. I like the opportunity to walk in and go, this isn't working. Mm. How can we make it work and get a little MacGyver and grab strings or rope or a deck of cards and try to figure out how can we make this work? Right. That's really neat. And how much of the, when you're filming, uh, just a video on your phone, and you're saying, okay, what can I do? And maybe it's balancing on it on the table or using a deck of cards, like you're saying. How much of that is also when you're in that position of the filmer? I mean, there must be more to that. You're producing it. You're maybe directing people as well. Is there just, I'm guessing there's a, a bigger role behind this than just 
even that, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, as you're looking at the world of film, uh, there's a reason they set up entire cities, basically, for film crews and for mm. the cast and crew. You know, there's there's so many different jobs uh, that can just expand and expand. Um, but a lot of times these days, you're having to fill all those all those shoes. So you're the camera operator, but you're also maybe directing. So, th- yeah, that's that can be really challenging when you're trying to multitask so much. Um, Sounds like a lot. Yeah, it is. It, and it's a lot to, to juggle mentally. But, um, yeah, that's definitely a challenge at times because um, you have to, yes, be thinking about the shot. Um, and that's sometimes why it's good to use a tripod or some kind of stabilizer because that, you know, you can set that up. And if your subject's not moving, you don't necessarily have to be thinking about it as much. Hmm. You still have to be thinking about it, but you don't have to think about it as much. <laughs> you still have to hit record. That's, that's an important <laughs> thing to do. Um, but yeah, then you, you kind of got to balance a lot of roles at once. And a way to get better at that is to just shoot more. Mm-hmm. Like you learn okay. the most when you come back and you go, I forgot to hit record that whole time. <laughs> and you'll never do that again. Um, right. Hopefully that doesn't happen to you. But there are things that you'll get back and you'll go, oh, I see why that didn't work the way I thought it would, or I didn't realize that that was happening in the background, um, and I need to you know, pay attention to that next time. And so if you can do that over and over and over again, mm. your content will get better over mm. and over and over again. Yeah, that's really cool. So what would be some of the first steps if you want to make a, a movie? Uh, how do you start? Yeah, so there's some really basic things and in, in basic principles with filmmaking that you know we can just go over and and chat a little bit about that if you have these things down it'll just improve the quality immensely and you'll actually be really surprised what you can do Hmm. um we talked a lot about stabilization how important that is absolutely absolutely crucial the other thing is framing too so there's this concept called the rule of thirds that basically places if you if you put two vertical lines on your screen to separate into thirds and then put two uh, imaginary horizontal lines to break up your screen into thirds. You'll Hmm. kind of create this grid on there. And there's actually sometimes it'll it'll put it on there for you if you want, you know, to kind of help you map things out. But um, so you basically want to try to place things like horizons um, and even objects that are in your frame on those on that grid, if you can do that, that'll really help bring the aesthetics together mm-hmm. in a big, big way. Um, and especially if you're filming people, it's really important to keep their eyes on that upper horizontal third. So okay. that upper third line, you want you want their eyes like even at, on the line. Yeah, right on the line or just above that line. And that's mm-hmm. gonna really help you compose your image, you know, properly. And, and get you kind of on the right track. Again, there's a lot more. We have a whole cinematography class where we dig into, you know, go way beyond that. But that's that's really, really big in terms of establishing a good frame. Yeah, naturally you want to put the person or the object right in the middle of the screen. And the whole point of this is to not, that we actually as humans enjoy um, asymmetrical imagery. Mm-hmm. And so just getting that person off and even playing around with it going in and not setting up the shot and saying, well, that has to be it. But seeing what does it look like if I move the camera or if I move the subject, find something interesting, find Mm -hmm. something different and do that. Yeah. 
and and why that eye on the upper third roll is so important. Um, it can get people can get really <laughs> bent out of shape about headroom. And if you oh. do that eye rule, it kind of takes care of the whole headroom issue for you. It'll kind of automatically line up where that person's head is going to be at the top of the frame. So like instead of having way too much above yes. them. Or, or way too, too little. Okay. Yeah. So that kind of takes care of, of that. But yeah. An- another really big thing that people don't – I feel like it's probably one of the biggest mistakes that happens a lot with – you know, people starting out in video is lighting. That's really, really, really important. Oh, okay. And, you know, one thing is that you want to make sure, basically, if your subject is um, staring at the camera, um, and if they're looking forward, you want the light source, the brightest light source available to be about 45 degrees to their left or their right from where they're looking forward. So mm. so you want it kind of at an angle to them. Um, and that's going to really help get kind of the best lighting setup for your for your subject. Okay. Wouldn't that make just a, a shadow then? Or, so if or it was no? if it was if the light source was 90 degrees to their left or to their right, then yeah, you would have issues. Okay. Um, cuz then just half of their face is going to be completely dark and completely light. And then that's a that's like the that's, <laughs> That's not a great lighting situation, <laughs> okay. depending on what you're wanting to do. But um, but if you have it at 45 degrees, it'll create a little bit of shadow, which is just the amount that you want. Hmm. The other thing that you really want to look at is what kind of lights you're using. So if you have any window light in your room, you want to use that as your light source. And you actually want to turn off probably every other light source hmm. in the room and get your subject pretty close to that window if possible. And that's going to really, really help to, you know, light, light your subject properly. And I could go into okay. the science behind that and, okay. and all that jazz. And I'm just not <laughs> <laughs> for the sake of time, but that's going to yeah. really, yeah. really help your image out a lot. When this is where film crosses fine art. Hmm. Um, so when you paint a portrait of someone, um, again, mm-hmm. most humans don't have completely symmetrical faces the most beautiful people tend to have symmetrical faces. So one way to hide that is to put a little bit of shadow on one side or the other so that we can't tell if one eyeball is slightly above the other. Hmm. Um, so it's it's these kind of things um, that as you get better in other fields, it all translates over. So if you're good at drawing, if you are a good painter, that will help you in this field um, because wow. you're you're painting with light when you make movies. You're you're capturing that on film. That's really cool. That reminds me of like the rule of thirds in art, you know, or just not I don't know what they call it, but the maybe the rule of three where having three of something together kind of I don't know, helps it versus yeah. just two or four. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all those things play into it. Yeah. That's totally. really neat. A few other things, too, a few other tips when you're using, like, let's say, you know, an iPhone or a smartphone. Um, When you, you know, take out the camera and and turn the camera on to start filming, um, especially with iPhones. Again, I'm an iPhone user here. um, The iPhone almost always overexposes the image. Hmm. And so you kind of have to tap on the screen and actually drag down. And that'll bring down the exposure a little bit. Okay. Um, because 
uh, again, when you just let it kind of auto adjust to the lighting situation, it's almost always overexposing just a hair. And the, pro the problem with that is that once you overexpose any part of the image, you can't get any of that information back. You can't get that back in the image, so to speak. So um, so I, every time I take, and this goes for pictures too, if you're taking pictures on your, on your iPhone, anytime I'm doing huh. video or pictures on my iPhone, I always tap on the image and then drag down, and that'll adjust the exposure of the image to get it where I want it to be. How much down? Is it just kind of slightly? It or? depends. Okay, all right. <laughs> um, if you're doing a sunset, you might have to drag down like almost all the way. Wow. Um, but uh, usually it's not a ton. It's okay. just a little bit. Um, usually you just tap on it a little bit and drag, you know, just a hair and I'll kind of get it where, where you need to be. And another mm. quick tip with that, if you tap and hold, it will lock out the exposure. So then you can move it up and down and that will make it brighter or darker. Um, but it will okay. also hold uh, focus. So if I'm taking a picture of someone that or a video that of someone that's moving quite a bit forward and backwards, this will lock it in so that it's not trying to search. Um, mm. And same with if your lighting's changing. So let's say the outside clouds are going up and down. Your iPhone's going to shift with those. But if you want it to just be locked on, and so no matter what happens with the lighting around you, the iPhone doesn't react to it. You tap and hold, and you'll see this little like box with a lock icon on it. Okay. And that will keep it so that nothing changes during that shot. Okay. Is that typically better than having it try to change if, if someone's just slightly moving and you're filming them? Yeah, so what where this comes into play is like your iPhone is not smart. Um, <laughs> it might look smart, but it's making decisions based on algorithms. So when I go out and I'm filming at the state fair and there's a ton of movement, my iPhone's trying to figure out, well, what do you want to be in focus, right? And so it might jump focus. Um, okay. Same with if I'm filming there and someone walks by with their phone and the sun reflects off of it and it makes it brighter in one spot, my iPhone might go, oh, I need to adjust because it's so much brighter. Oh, no, it's not. And it, so it's gonna adjust that lighting. So the ability to lock in um, and those kind of situations can be really helpful so that your iPhone isn't like jumping around all the time. Now, sometimes you don't want that, but um, again, playing with these things, like you'll get way better mm -hmm. if you don't go, I'm gonna drop this 2% in my lighting, but going, what looks good? What's mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Oh, that was too dark that time. Next time I'm going to do it a little lighter, whatever. Um, those things are helpful to, to really get to know your camera and use it well. Yeah, that's really helpful. Thank you. So if we switch and talk a little bit more about your actors, uh, does it make a difference what they are wearing wardrobe-wise? Yeah, a ton. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, there's the whole world of art direction and production design and a lot of times in films, they'll use very specific colors to bring out a character's personality or, you know, create these themes with the sp specific colors. Um, so you can do that. You can go all the way over there and do that if you want. The other thing, though, that you need to watch, especially when you're working with iPhones, is that um, they tend to not deal well with really fine patterns, really tightly knit patterns. It can create this effect called moiré. If you're curious what it looks like, hmm. Google it and you'll see why. Um, but it's huh. it's super, super distracting. Uh, and when you have it happen on camera, it's the only thing you can focus on. Wow. So that's in a sense where, you know, if you're, if you're not doing it right, it's going to really distract from your from your story. So generally speaking, you want your characters to wear solids um, or 
larger patterns so that you don't have that effect happening. And that's that's something you want to think about. Also, really bright colors sometimes can just throw cameras off and they Mm -hmm. don't know what to do with it. So more muted colors is often a better idea. Yeah, and at the end of the day, even, you know, when I ask someone to film them, I say, can you not wear anything with a logo on it? Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole point about that is if story really is king, you don't want anything in the shot that's distracting. So if you mm-hmm. talk, the person um, that's that's talking, don't have them wear a shirt that the person the whole time is trying to figure out what the image is on it or it goes, oh, I know that brand. And instead of focusing on the story, they're focusing on what they're wearing. Same with the environment. Um, yeah. If I'm shooting something and there's, you know, an weird looking picture on the wall that the whole time I'm going to stare at that instead of listening to the person, then I'll go take the picture down. Um, mm-hmm. If there's, you know, trash in the background, I'm going to remove the trash. So no one's looking and going, why didn't they take out the trash? <laughs> All of those things that are just really intentional about saying, if story is king, what doesn't serve the story? And let's just remove those things. And if something does serve the story, maybe there's a picture that does help hang that on the wall. Hmm. Um, so it's those kind of intentional things that, again, if you do this over and over again, you'll begin to see patterns of going, I need to remove that next time. Hmm. Um, and so that's the best way to learn. But in those moments, taking time to go, does everything in the shot make sense for the shot? And then removing everything that doesn't. Right. Right. So then with colors, you guys are saying to go more muted, more neutral. But what do, what do you do with black and white? If you're shooting in black and white? Um, well, that's a question, too. But I was yeah. thinking if you're wearing white or black, is that fine? or Black is usually okay. Um, white you want to avoid, if possible, um, because it reflects light so well. Hmm. So when we're talking about exposing and overexposing, it can be really hard to properly expose someone in an environment if they're wearing white because that's going to be so incredibly bright. Okay. So usually you want people to avoid that too. But so like, would gray So like work? gray is amazing. Or, or even or a nice blue, black. green. Yeah. What he was saying is like if you show up in a neon shirt, it will do weird things to your camera. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you just want to avoid like that spectrum of colors. So you guys mentioned fashion and you mentioned um, having um, just – things in the background and color. Uh, are there any other aspects that you want to keep in mind? So a whole another part of filmmaking is this thing called audio, okay. <laughs> which is really, really important and oftentimes overlooked. And the biggest thing, again, you could spend a lot of money on mics or you, you know, again, may just have the microphone on your, on your iPhone. So a few things to keep in mind with that. Um, you want to try to be as close as you can to your subject when you're recording it. And you also want to be in a room that's quiet, if possible, because that background noise can really be distracting. And then you also want to be in a room, though, that doesn't have, you know, if it's literally just a room with, you know, four flat walls, that's the reason we're in a studio right now, right? And we have some padding on the walls. And that's actually one of the biggest reasons for that padding. It's not to make it soundproof, per se. Hmm. It's to make sure that the the audio is not bouncing off the wall and creating this really distracting echo. So you can even hold, I've been on sets where we've held a blanket behind the person with the camera so that the person speaking, you know, it it doesn't create like a a ton of echo in the room. So those those are just some some things that you can do 
to make sure that you're improving the quality of your audio. And when you're talking gear with that, like you said, you can go out and buy a thousand dollar microphone with a $600 recorder. Um, probably if you're making a movie on your iPhone, you're not doing that. Um, and so there's plenty of companies out there like Shore or um, Roadmic or Sennheiser that creates labs that you can plug right into your person and then it's a 10 foot cord to them. Um, so it sits on the person so you're closer to them with your audio. Um, wow. There's little shotgun mics that poke out of your camera that can work. Hmm. Um, so there's things out there that are cheaper. And so as you're creating films and you go, ah, I think I can improve that, then you can start investing in some of those things of going, what's the best iPhone shotgun mic out there? Hmm. And there's plenty of people on YouTube that can tell you all those things. That's really cool. So then what happens after you have the film, uh, after you've filmed? Yeah, so you get all this footage. Um, and so you, like Professor Vincent said earlier, you could put this on your computer and you could you know, open up a really expensive program and run it. Um, nowadays, there are plenty of programs that you can download. Um, so some of the more popular ones um, are iMovie, of course, on the iPhone. Uh, LumaFusion is a new one that is, you can actually cut a whole movie. Like you could cut a feature length film on it. I wouldn't do that if it was me, but um, <laughs> at that point, I want to do something more. But you can. Um, you can do multi-track editing and all these things that are, are pretty crazy. But the, the most important thing is you're just putting uh, clips together. And so mm-hmm. um, I noticed that when I first started editing, I started on iMovie, and I was like a kid in a candy shop. There was a star oh. transition, and there was a voice modulation that made your voice go up really high. And um, <laughs> there was a you know water wave transition, all these things. And realizing that most movies that you see are just hard cuts. So going from one shot to the next one, to the next one, to the next one with music, you can make a really compelling story just with that. Um, and so not going crazy and not trying to use every single thing in the program, but again, always coming back to story mm. and going, does the star transition make my story more compelling? Right. Probably not. Um, and so if it doesn't, don't use it just because it's there. Yeah, that's really, really good advice. And that's actually one thing about using iMovie on your phone is that it automatically places dissolves between your clips. Um, oh, so you actually so it need blends to blend it more. Is that what um, that means? Uh, yes, no. but it's like this kind of <laughs> yeah. weird dissolve when it should just be a hard cut. And that's oh, okay. the decision that you want to make like 97% of the time. So you just want to make sure that you're deleting those transitions as you're putting it together. And that's going to really help improve the quality and then go find some music so you don't even have to have your character speaking right um Pixar is great at this in their shorts of having people never speak but just having music over this mm-hmm. so finding good music putting it together with that um and then exporting it at the you know share button and then finding a platform so whether mm-hmm. that's youtube facebook uh tiktok now or instagram where, wherever you're going to display it just kind of know what you're going to do with that so if i'm doing instagram i'm doing a vertical video if I'm doing TikTok, I'm probably doing a vertical video. If I'm doing YouTube, I'm definitely probably not going to be doing that. So okay. knowing kind of where you're going to put it and then putting it out in the world and sharing it with your friends. Neat. That's awesome. So what makes the difference between a good video and a great video? I spend a lot of time on that question, but I, I would, you know, I may sound like a broken record here, but it really comes back to story. Mm. Um, and you know, making sure that you have a good story to begin with, that you shot the story well, um, and, and doing all the things necessary to make sure you did that, whether it's framing or composition or 
you know, set design, costume design, coaching the talent, all that jazz. Um, that's going to really help. And then the, the next thing is, again, the last step is editing. That's actually where the final story is written, is in the edit, right? Hmm. And so the other thing is that you've, you know, video can be time consuming. So it's so tempting that, you know, you spend a little bit of time editing and you just want to send it out to the world. Um, often where things go from good to great is in the editing room. Hmm. to be honest. And it's spending that little bit more time, just a little extra time to get it from something that's good to being something that's excellent. Um, and so at the end of the day, it's just, it's just being patient with it and, and doing some hard work to get it there. Yeah, that's I'll, neat. I'll repeat that. I, just being intentional in your storytelling, just being really mm-hmm. intentional in every step of the way and then doing it over and over again. And right. I find that the people that I respect the most are the ones that have just done it a lot. Yeah. And Professor Vincent, you mentioned having a protagonist. Is that what you Mm -hmm. said? Um, And then empathizing with the protagonist. Is that why is that important? It's important because if we don't have like a character um, that we care about and sometimes it's not necessarily one person, it can be multiple people. um, But if we don't care about that person, we're not going to care about the story. Hmm. Um, And so there, there has to be. Um, a level of of care that we have, an investment that we have. Otherwise, we don't want to see that. We don't care about seeing that character through the through line of the story. Okay, really neat. Thank you so much for both of you guys for sharing. Yeah, thanks for having us. So, Professor Vincent and Professor Clapper, thank you so much for joining the Crown Insider Podcast. Uh, it has been just an honor to have you both here. So, thank you. Thank you. Thank you.